Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Wardy. I'm Wardy, a wife and mom of three and author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Fermenting Foods. I'm also the lead teacher, blogger, and owner of traditionalcookingschool.com. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast devoted to healthy family cooking with traditional methods like sourdough and old-fashioned pickling. These foods are easy, delicious, healing, and your family will love them. If you haven't already, be sure to grab my free gift for you. Five free traditional cooking videos from inside Traditional Cooking School that will introduce you to my favorite fundamental techniques of traditional cooking. To start watching today, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash watch. And now, let's get to today's show. Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Wardy podcast. This is episode 169. I want to give a big hello to everyone who's joining me on Facebook Live right now for this live recording. It's awesome to see you here, including Aaron, who's just on the other side of the building. Good to see you, Aaron. Um, so you are joining me right now for a live recording. Those of you coming in later, Welcome to you as well. If you're listening in your earbuds, you can switch to the video version of this podcast at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 169. If you're watching the video, you can switch to the audio version either on iTunes or at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 169. And at that link are going to be all the links and notes from everything I'm planning to share today. The topic today is six lesson learned from two years of pressure cooking. Um, So I have a lot to share because I think these are things that uh, the books don't tell you. (laughs) Or at least you just have to go through a lot of trial by fire to learn these things. So um, I'm excited to share them with you. And we've got all kinds of people here just chiming in in the comments. So hello. So glad to see you all. Okay. Um, So a little bit of an introduction here. So at Traditional Cooking School... We do traditional methods like soaking, sprouting, and fermenting, uh, culturing. These prepare foods for best digestion. Traditional methods, um, when people use them, they're healthier. Um, My family has had great, great results from incorporating traditional methods. We've gone from extreme food allergies and environmental allergies to basically being completely healed by incorporating traditional methods. Traditional methods like soaking, sprouting, culturing, fermenting, they prepare foods for best digestion. They um, remove anti-nutrients that can inhibit mineral absorption and make digestion hard. Uh, The traditional methods help you get more nutrition from the foods you eat. And even though that might sound overwhelming, traditional cooking is not hard. It's just smart. Maybe takes a little forethought in like, instead of cooking your rice now, you started soaking the day before. So you're not spending more time if you're cooking already, but you're starting things earlier. And the beauty of traditional methods is that you're using acids and live cultures, um, and they do a lot of the work for you. Now, you might be wondering, how is this related to pressure cooking? Well, the thing about pressure cooking is that uh, pressure cooking is a modern method, and at Traditional Cooking School, we are, or I should say, a modern tool and method. And at Traditional Cooking School, we are combining all the principles and methods of traditional cooking that make food nutritious and digestible with the modern appliance or modern tool of pressure cooking, so we have the best of both worlds. And I myself have been pressure cooking for two years now, Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about that as we get into the points I want to make. But what I want to tell you are the six lessons I've learned 
in two years of pressure cooking that uh, are really hard to find because um, you read books and they, they're loaded with lots of tips, um, cookbooks or whatnot, but there's just some insider things that we've learned that I want to share now. Um, and I do want to credit my friend and cohort teacher, Vicki Lynn Haycraft, oh, and also my daughter, Hania. The three of us have been teaching a pressure cooking e-course at Traditional Cooking School. And so between the three of us, we have covered a lot of ground and we've learned a lot of things. And so the six points I'm going to make today are kind of the benefit of what the three of us have learned. And I want to recommend that if you're a member and you've been following along with this class, which is nearly done, I just put up lesson 10 yesterday. We have one more lesson to go. If you're a member and you've had big ahas or big like trial by fire lessons that you've learned from our course, please come by the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 169. They will be up when this is released on iTunes um, about a week from now. And put your uh, big lessons learned in the comments. If you're watching right now live and you're a member, you can, of course, put your big lessons learned in the comments right here on Facebook Live. I really want to hear from you because I have six things to share, and I know there's so many more things that um, beginner and experienced pressure cooks alike learn um, and can share and we can all benefit from. Okay, and hi to Jen. Good to see you, Jen. Um, so let's dive into these six lessons learned. Okay. My first big lesson learned is about the instant pot. It's probably not coming as a surprise to you who have been awake on the internet for probably the last year, because the instant pot is definitely a craze that's affected nearly every home cook. And I am one of those home cooks who's been affected, deeply affected by the instant pot. But let me step back a bit and tell you how I got into pressure cooking. I got into pressure cooking because I, uh, because that, that year we had a very, in fact, it may have been more than two years ago, maybe three years ago now. Anyway, we had a grass-fed beef that we purchased. We didn't raise that one ourselves. We purchased it, and it was just drier and tougher than any other we'd had. And that is something that sadly is can be the norm with grass-fed beef. Not all, but you know, every farmer and ranch is different and it has to do with how they're raised and how much fat they've put on and whatnot. Anyway, we got a tough grass-fed beef and I tried slow cooking and all kinds of things and we just couldn't um, get it to be like enjoyable because it just turned out really dry and tough. And so I was reading about different methods and I ran across pressure cooking and I was like, I just got to try this. So I purchased a stovetop pressure cooker. I'll have a link for you in the show notes for which one I purchased. And um, the roast turned out fabulous. So I was sold on pressure cooking. And then I got more into it and doing more with it, like cooking a whole chicken in a short order of time, cooking, doing broth in 30 minutes to an hour, um, just was totally sold on it. Now getting to the Instant Pot, then I heard about the Instant Pot and it totally changed my life because the Instant Pot makes pressure cooking so much more doable. Now, the promise with pressure cooking is that it's really easy and fast, and that is true. If you're using a stovetop cooker, though, um, it's not it's not like so, 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 so easy. It's definitely doable. It's definitely like worth doing, but you're doing some hands-on monitoring because you have to hold your 
pot at the right pressure. And so that means adjusting its position on the burner and adjusting the heat on the burner. And there's some fiddling that you have to do to get it to pressure and maintain that pressure for the duration of the cooking time. So it's not, so it's, it's kind of hands-on. You have to be there to monitor. And again, I'm not trying to put it down because I did it and I loved it. I love the results and I found it very easy. Well, I found it easy. And then the Instant Pot came into my life and the Instant Pot is an electric plug-in pressure cooker that also has other functions, but I primarily use it as a, um, as a, um, pressure cooker and you plug it in and you press the buttons on what you want and the machine itself takes care of getting up to pressure and holding it at pressure for the duration of the cooking time it also depressurizes naturally or there's an easy way to quick release but the thing the point here that i'm making is the instant pot made pressure cooking so much more doable so this is the lesson if i were to go back and get into pressure cooking i would have chosen an instant pot from the get-go now i know even at traditional cooking school we have members who've chosen stovetop because they don't want to be on the grid so much or if the power goes out they still want to be able to use the stovetop on an uh um, a camp stove or whatnot and those are huge legitimate reasons i don't want to knock but if you are um you know you could have a stovetop pressure cooker that you pick up at a garage sale but if you're going to make an investment in a big one and you don't have a problem with you know benefiting from the electricity while it's on i say get into pressure cooking with an instant pot because an instant pot makes pressure cooking so 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 much more doable that has been my experience uh, the first year of pressure cooking with the stovetop i didn't use it as much as i could because it wasn't it was easy but it wasn't as easy as promised i guess you would say I literally use our Instant Pot all the time. It's always going. Um, even if the dinner that I'm making doesn't involve pressure cooking, I still use it. Like an example just happened yesterday. Um, we were grilling outside for dinner. We did barbecue chicken and we even did potatoes and they were boiling in a pot on the camp stove. And I had a whole chicken thawed in the fridge and I was just like, I'm, I'm just going to cook this now. The Instant Pot is free. We are cooking. I may as well, you know, do double duty here and be efficient. I put the whole chicken in um, the Instant Pot, and it was done in about an hour. So by the time we're serving dinner, the Instant Pot is like depressurizing, and by the time the dinner's over, the chicken is cooked, and now we have chicken to eat today. That's what I mean by literally using the Instant Pot all the time. I use it even when the dinner is not pressure cooked to cook ahead for the next day. Another thing that I do often is if I'm going to have hard boiled eggs, I just fill up the whole thing. You can do like up to 18 eggs in the Instant Pot. And by the way, they turn out better than um, stovetop boiling because they will always peel easily if they're done in the Instant Pot. So... Um, that was point number one, which I know was lengthy. <laughs> In my six lessons learned from two years of pressure cooking, which is actually two plus, um, the Instant Pot makes pressure cooking so much more doable. So if you're interested in pressure cooking, I suggest you get the Instant Pot. You'll find a link at the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 169. And in fact, if you do go to the show notes and pick up my link, um, and for those of you on Facebook Live, I'll make sure that link is above when I'm done here, um, your it's a link that goes to Amazon. It doesn't cost you anymore, but if you do purchase after clicking my link, it will help support traditional cooking school, and I appreciate that. So point number two, lessons learned from a couple years of pressure cooking is 
this is a way to increase efficiency. And I first learned this from Vicki Lynn Haycraft, who helps to teach our pressure cooking e-course at Traditional Cooking School. And that is to, while you're prepping and getting everything ready for your meal that's going to pressure cook, pre start preheating your pressure cooker and even some of the ingredients. Um, so all you're doing is putting you know, your basic liquid or sauteing your onions or, you know, something, do it in the pressure cooker and turn it on to saute function. Now, if you're on a stovetop, that means you're putting it on the burner and getting it heating up. If you're on an instant pot or an electric pressure cooker, there's a saute function or, you know, just a, it's not a pressure function, but it's just a heat function for like frying, sauteing, sauteing. Anyway, so make use of that so that when you're ready to pressurize and you have all your ingredients prepped and everything, um, you're, um, you come up to pressure faster. The reason is because in order to come up to pressure, all the ingredients have to be hot and at a certain temperature. So if you can, um, in, if you can make sure they're at least room temperature or hot by the time you hit the pressure cycle, then you're going to get to pressurize faster, which is going to shave off time from your overall cooking time. If you start with something frozen, in fact, in the comments, um, Amy said you can kick a, cook a chicken frozen. Yes, you can, and um, go ahead and do that. Um, but the thing is, is if the ingredients are de dense or if they're super cold, it's just gonna take longer to come to pressure. So you might be coming to pressure for 30 minutes or more on something that's frozen or something that's very cold. However, if you preheat the water or saute your onions or brown your chicken right in the unit, um, sear it what i mean by brown if you can sear your meats um, in in oil and like garlic and onions if you can do that ahead of time then your ingredients are already warm so when you go to pressurize you're just shaving time off what is required to come up to pressure okay um so that was point number two make use of that preheat your ingredients Preheat your liquid, use room temperature ingredients, pre-sear, you know, think about as you're prepping to be preheating as much as you can so that you shave time off your pressurizing time. Uh, third lesson learned from a couple years of pressure cooking is, this is related to number two, sometimes, uh, like if I'm doing a quick bread or a cake or some custards or something like that, you're just putting straight water in the cooker with the trivet and you're putting a glass lid or a plate on top and you're hitting the saute so it can uh, start getting hot. And then you're prepping all your whatever you're going to bake. By the time you have your uh, filling in your containers and you're putting it in your pressure cooker, like half your water is evaporated or more than half of the water is evaporated. Well, you have to replace that water. And I learned this the hard way where I had evaporated water and then I'm putting stuff in and I'm hitting the cycle to pressurize and it's not coming to pressure. It went through the cook time and everything, but it was not pressurized. So it, the, the, the food was not done when I, when the pressure cycle was over. So this is a big lesson learned. Pay attention to the amount of water you put in when you're preheating because if you take a long time prepping, or actually even if you take a normal amount of time prepping, you're going to lose water that's preheating in there through evaporation. It is boiling hot. And so then um, you replenish and try to replenish with hot water rather than cold. Again, principle number two, so it can be hot rather than cold when coming up to pressure. Just a quick question here coming in from Lisa. Can you bake in it like a cake or bread? Definitely. We show you a lot of those in our pressure cooking e-course at Traditional Cooking School. Okay, lesson learned number four. 
oh, I love this. So we have this problem in our house, which is it gets hot in the summer and it doesn't vent. So I can't cook inside really all the hot summer months, which isn't a bad thing. I've become a good outside cook. We have a three burner camp stove. I move appliances outside, whether it's the toaster oven or the crock pot or whatnot, and I do things outside. Um, so, and, and it's just enjoyable because then you're looking at the garden and the dogs around and, you know, there's the, the birds and everything. So it's an, it's, it's a way to enjoy the summer if you go outside to cook. Um, so I'm not complaining about that, but here's the thing with the instant pot. Um, it virtually, I mean, it outputs a tiny bit of heat, but it really doesn't output very much heat. So I can actually cook inside during the summer. Um, that doesn't mean I do all the time because if I'm grilling, outside I'll still bring the pressure the instant pot outside with me and I'll plug it in there and let it go or if I do something inside I'll actually carry it outside to vent you know the pressure because that's hot steam and I don't necessarily want to heat up the house uh, so I'll just carry it outside to do that um, or the other thing is is I'll vent it right under the oven hood so the oven hood can suck that outside but I just love it because it gives me more options for cooking inside. Um, if I, you know, don't have an hour and a half to sit outside, you know, monitoring something. Anyway, I, I just love that. It helps me beat the heat. Um, lesson learned number five. So when you get into pressure cooking, you get an instant pot or you get a stovetop cooker and you're doing soups and stews and meatballs and things that cook like right in the pot itself. But then you realize, like Lisa's question just a bit ago, can you do bread and cakes and stuff? Yes, you can. But you need something to cook them in because you're not just pouring the batter right in the cooking pot, which means you need like cake pans or, you know, containers or things. Well, here's lesson learned number five. Other than your pressure cooker itself, which is either a stove top or the Instant Pot, which I highly recommend. Um, and you'll find links to that at the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 169. So other than the cooker itself, uh, you probably have most of what you need already in your kitchen to make fun and interesting dishes. Now, this doesn't mean you might not make the occasional purchase. I have chosen to purchase a steamer basket, some stackable stainless steel pans, but you know what I use most of the time? Um... Pyrex glass storage bowls make great cooking containers for quick breads and cakes. Um, covers, you need to cover things. Well, if you cover with a layer of parchment paper and then a layer of aluminum foil, then you've got a non-toxic cover. Um, you know, the parchment paper prevents the aluminum foil from having contact with your food and, and it's also a barrier there. Uh, so, you know, how simple is that? We probably all have that in our homes. So you make the investment in your cooker and then you just scrounge around for odds and ends of bowls or storage dishes, and you can make all kinds of things. My daughter makes a dark chocolate custard. We have that recipe in our pressure cooking e-cores in half-pint jars. So she does four individual custards. You can do the same with muffin batter or, um, you know, other quick bread or cake-type foods just in little half-pint jars, or you can use individual ramekins. Anyway, whatever you have in your kitchen, there's probably so many options for little containers that can take your pressure cooking farther. Um, and so that's definitely a lesson learned that there are so many possibilities. If your kitchen has like normal glass and bowls that a lot of us tend to have if we're home cooks, I mean, we have glass storage bowls. We have half pint jars. I mean, mason jars, right? We, I bet 99% of the people that are listening right now love mason jars like I do. So mason jars, and you, you could do half pint or whole pint anyway. 
you probably have most of what you need in addition other than the cooker if you don't already have that. That was lesson learned number five. Okay, lesson learned number six. Now this one is gonna defy all the people who promise that pressure cooking is so fast and easy. Pressure cooking is so fast and easy. I'm not gonna argue with that, but I'm gonna say that even though the main promise of pressure cooking is that things cook faster, that if you're a smart cook, you still need to allow for prep time, need to allow for the, the contents coming up to pressure, which means they need to heat, go past boiling, build up enough steam under pressure, you know, pressurize. You have to allow for the actual cooking time. You have to allow for depressurizing, which you can do a quick release in a couple minutes, but some foods you want to depressurize naturally for 10 to 30 minutes, and you also need to allow for cooling down. Pressure cooking happens at hotter than boiling temperatures. So you open up your pressure cooker and your family's not eating that for 10 to 15 to 30 minutes <laughs> because it's just way too hot. You want them to enjoy their food without getting burned, right? So this is a lesson learned number six is even though people say it's so fast, personally, I do not spend any less time on dinner prep than I did before. Granted, it's hands-free, a lot of it is hands-free, so I can be doing other things. So I'm more efficient and productive during that time that I'm in the kitchen preparing meals, but I don't spend less time in the kitchen preparing meals because um, there's still all those things to account for. So as a general rule, if I know that the cook time is 30 minutes on a dish, I know that I'm starting at 30 minutes before that, and I know that I'm allowing for 30 minutes afterward for if it needs to cook more or cooling down you know, or whatnot. So that's lesson learned number six. Even though the main premise of pressure cooking is that things cook faster, you still need to allow extra time for prep, coming to pressure, pressurizing, depressurizing, and cooling down so that it's actually able to put in your mouth. <laughs> okay, I'm going to wrap up here with some Q&A. So you guys hit put your thoughts in the uh, comments on Facebook Live, and, then, and if it's relevant, I will for sure include it in the... Um, the final version of this podcast that will be up at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 169 in a week. So I have time to take a couple questions. Are there any? I think there's probably a little bit of a delay, so I'll wait just a bit. And as they're coming in, let me tell you two things. The show notes, including links, are at tradcookschool.com slash 169 or knowyourfoodpodcast.com 169. You're so welcome. Sandy is saying thank you for being so informative. I appreciate that. Um, if you're interested in our pressure cooking e-course, it's tradcookschool.com slash love pressure uh, because we love pressure cooking. So that's one word, tradcookschool.com slash love pressure, one word. Um, I also have a previous podcast from a few months ago, Eight Reasons to Love Pressure Cooking, where I just talked about how great it is, and that's knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 154. Juliana is saying, have you tried frozen meats in the pressure cooker? I certainly have. I've cooked frozen um, chickens. I've done frozen roasts. By the way, we have an awesome roast recipe inside our pressure cooking e-course, so if you're a member, do that without delay um, if you haven't already. The, the thing is, is um, you just add more minutes to, for frozen. And when you buy your pressure cooker, there's usually with, with it comes cooking times and tables, and they give you fresh and they give you frozen times. The other thing is there's a great book by Lorna Sass, 
uh, pressure perfect. And she goes through, she breaks down meats very well where she tells you, you know, this many pounds, this many minutes per pound. And if it's frozen, add this many minutes. So you, you just do that. Uh, anything you can bake can go in the pressure cooker, asks Patty. Um, I'm going to say yes, 99%. I mean, the one thing that I don't do in the pressure cooker is our sourdough sandwich bread because I just feel like I've got it down so well in a Dutch oven, uh, in the oven. Um, but we do quick breads. They're, they're steamed breads. So muffins and quick breads, yes. Desserts. In fact, a lot of those things that I just mentioned, the desserts, quick breads, cakes, they turn out more moist and a better crumb or if it's like a cheesecake or a pudding it's or custard it's smoother so the results are superior in a pressure cooker um Susie says i have a countertop electric pressure cooker how can i get instructions that match instant recipes the d only the difference between stovetop and instant pot is that you on the stovetop you are um, bringing it up to pressure through how much heat you have on your burner and then adjusting to maintain that pressure for the duration of the cook time. So you're doing it yourself rather than the machine doing it. The other thing is, is that a stovetop pressure cooker has a higher PSI than the electric pressure cooker. So it actually cooks a few minutes faster than, the, the, than an electric pressure cooker. So you're just, you know, just adjusting the time down a bit. And there's flexibility with the time. So that doesn't have to be a scary thing. If it's a, a quick, like three to four minute, like vegetable steaming, don't change the time at all. But if it's like a 30 minute something or other for an instant pot, you know, maybe do 26 or 28 minutes on your stovetop. Um, there is a great book. I think it's the Great Big Pressure Cooker Cookbook or something like that. I'll have a link for that in the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 169. And after I finish this video on Facebook Live, I'll go put that link above in the description, so refresh the page. But anyway, that cookbook is fantastic. There's hun hundred, hundreds of whole food pressure cooking recipes, and they have instructions for both stovetop and electric, so you don't even have to, like make adjustments, they've got it for you. Okay, great questions, everyone. So thank you so much for joining me. I'll just wrap up that you'll find show notes and links at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 169. If you're interested in our pressure cooking e-course, it's tradcookschool.com slash love pressure, where love pressure is one word. Um, and if you want to check out a previous podcast on what's so great about pressure cooking, besides all the things I've been gushing about today, that's knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 154. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you'll come back again. Let me tell you what you can do next. You can visit the show notes for this episode and get links and more resources about today's topic. Just visit knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then without a space, type the number of this episode. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com slash watch to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. It's a gift. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Warty while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop or laptop, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. And while you're there, please leave a rating or review. I love to read your comments, and your feedback makes it much more likely that others who are interested will find this podcast too. Thank you so much, and God bless you.